0: To me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And so we come today confessing our ignorance. Um, We are blind often to your truth. Our ears are often deaf. We have no feeling in our hearts toward you. We're cold instead. And so we ask now to you to bless your word by your spirit. Uh, Come to us, Lord. Uh, Reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And uh, help us to walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake, and we pray these things in jesus' name. Amen october twenty five fourteen fifteen do you know what happened that day? Anybody know sometimes I ask questions like that and To my amazement, somebody does. October 25, 1415, was the Battle of Ajakor. Does that mean anything to you? It was between the English and the French in northern France. Henry V had taken his troops, they'd crossed the English Channel, and they were about to engage the French in battle. And they were sorely outnumbered about, historians tell us, maybe uh, 8,000 English troops and about 16 French troops. But historians also tell us that there was a working together of these factors. British longbows, a muddy field in which the battle was fought, trees bounding the place where the battle took place, and... um, French armor that weighed 60 to 70 pounds per soldier. The French, you know how it used to be, Uh, soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder and they would march toward one another. And in this case, that's what happened with the French until they hit the mud and they couldn't keep going, but the soldiers behind them kept going. And soldiers on horseback, well, the horses weren't protected from arrows, from the longbows. And before long, it was a horrible mess for the French. And a wonderful victory for the English. Now, what's a king to do in those circumstances? Like King Henry V, he's to remember his place. In Second Chronicles, the Lord said to judges, Remember! Remember, you are judging for God. And in Romans chapter 13, we are told that people in positions of political influence, they represent God to those they're asked to lead. So what does Henry V do? He says to his soldiers, come with me to the muddy battlefield and bow down. And give thanks to God using the words of Psalm 115, which are not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all he pleases. Don't, leader, don't people all over the world need leaders who will direct them in the paths of righteousness for the sake of Christ? Don't they need leaders who will, with them, reflect on God's blessings? Don't they need leaders who will encourage them to bow in humility before the Lord and acknowledge His goodness with ...expressions of praise and thanks, much as did Henry V. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be people who give God his due. We're asked to live before a watching world in such a way... ...that we look up in faith and express our joy, our praise, our confidence in the Lord who has given us all good things. Responding to God's good providence is the theme that's before us here in 2 Samuel 22. And here's how we're going to look at it. Uh, David identifies a series of problems. And then he also points us in the direction of a solution to those. And then we want to ask, what does David's experience long ago have to do with the week that's ahead for us? Uh, but just a couple notes on 2 Samuel 22. It's the longest poem in First and 2 Samuel. More than that, it's the fourth longest poem in the whole Bible. You know the others. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. And uh, then Psalm 78, I think that has 72. And then Psalm 18, do you know what's in Psalm 18? A virtual replica of Second Samuel 22. Well, this is toward the end of David's life now. I know, you thought we'd never get there. But we're inching close in that direction. Uh, before we look at this chapter, though, let's just try to see how it fits into the last section of 2 Samuel. Uh, Ageline was making fun of me a few weeks ago talking about how I'm very interested in chiasms. Well, that's what we find here. See it? Uh, Narrative Atonement for Saul's Corporate Sin in chapter 21, which is balanced by Narrative Atonement for David's Corporate Sin in chapter 24. And then in between those bookends, we have Report of Battles and David's Heroes in the beginning of chapter 21, Report of Battles and David's Mighty Men in chapter 23, and then right smack dab in the center of this last section is David's song, which we're going to look at, and then David's last words. And you say, well, of what value is noting these comparisons in the structure? Well, the narrator, the author of 2 Samuel does this on purpose because there's something he wants to emphasize. And so this is not just a random kind of organization. It's purposeful. And as I think we've said before, uh, when ancient writers composed their works, often they would balance their thoughts so that the important stuff is right at the center. Now, let's just look at one other slide that helps us a little bit with chapter uh, 22. Yeah, this is David's song of praise and thanksgiving, and you'll notice... There are introductory words of praise in verses 1 to 4, and then reasons for praise, and then concluding words of praise. So we want to understand David's problem, first of all, and then look at the reasons that he gives us for praising the Lord. Um, As we've suggested, Psalm 22 is a poem And it's a retrospective poem. That is, David is reflecting on the past. He's thinking about what's happened to him. And he focuses our attention on God's sovereignty and on God's goodness for his people. Really, this psalm, uh, or poem, Uh, Psalm 18. Really, this poem is a version of the song that we sometimes sing. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So what are his problems? Well, please look in your Bible. You think you've got problems. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2. Well, before we go there. Uh, look at the beginning of verse 1. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So that's the overarching idea. He's in bad situation, uh, but the Lord delivers him. So what were his problems? End of verse 2. He praises God because he's deliverer. He needs to be delivered from something. At least we know he needed to be delivered from Saul and other enemies. Then look at verse 3. David, in order to be delivered, needed a shield. He needed protection. He needed a horn of salvation. That is not a horn, trumpet horn, but rather horn like the horn of an ox. Uh, A horn that uh, that would engage the enemy. And then what's next? I need a stronghold, refuge, someone to save me from violence. I have enemies, end of verse 4. Death encompassed me. Torrents of destruction assailed me. Sheol entangled me. Snares of death confronted me. And then verse 7, I think, begins with an understatement. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Think about all those problems David lists. These verses are for anybody who's feeling troubled today. Uh, Anybody who's discouraged, despondent, depressed, feeling overwhelmed. Um, You know the song, Trust and Obey? Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share. These verses are for somebody who feels burdened and distressed. Part of our struggles flow out of the fact that we live in a fallen world But David makes this point here. You are not alone. Whatever your burden today, you're not alone. Doesn't matter how bad it is. You are not alone. David centuries before you endured the same kinds of things that are in front of you right now. And so, Second Samuel chapter 22 and Psalm 18, which are almost identical, those are for somebody just like you. Let me encourage you, when you leave here today, take your Bible and read over those two passages. Meditate on them. Think about the Lord's promises there. Well... That's the short version of David's problem. Now, let's tick down through. I mean, we have 51 verses. We can't hit every one of them, you know? So we're going to kind of hit some of the high points in terms of David, the, the, the kind of solution that the Lord provides for David. How does David go on? Well, what's obvious here is that with all of these burdens, David has found some way to praise the Lord? And we might pause just at this point. Have you found a way to praise the Lord in the burdens that you feel? That's an important question to ask. How does David give him thanks? Well, the rest of the psalm answers that question. First of all, look at the end of verse 7. In my distress I called on the Lord... From his holy temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Though David is threatened with death and all kinds of other problems, God hears him. What a thought. God hears when you cry. He says, call unto me and I will answer you when it seems like I'm all, I'm all alone, he is attentive to my needs. He hears what's going on. That gives me reason to perk up a little bit and pay a little more attention to what he sees here as the solution to the problems he's facing. There's reason to pay attention and perhaps to give praise. We don't want to go that far just yet. Uh, Perhaps to give praise because of who the Lord is. So please look at verses 8 through 16. What are we told there? Well, God is great. He's good. He's in the heavens. And then please notice verse 10. He bowed down the heavens and came down. God's not way far away as if he's disinterested in you. He comes into time and space. That same word is used for us at the Tower of Babel. Uh, here are people who are going to make a name for themselves. And then what do we read? God came down to see what was going on. And, and just using that language is kind of a, uh, a mocking kind of thing. They're building this big temple, this big tower that's going to reach up into the heavens. And he has to come down to their tower. But God's coming down is more personal than that kind of coming down in what I think was a scowling way. His coming down to you is knowing all that you face and being on your side and being committed to finding out, seeing the details of your life so that he can walk with you step by step. That's the promise. I I won't leave you or forsake you, the Lord says to his people. Now, that's one of the reasons that David finds some hope. But now, please look with me at verses 17 to 20. Though God is great and he's in the heavens, uh, he comes down. Look at the personal way in which God reveals himself here. Uh, Verse 17. He sent from on high and took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And please notice, as those personal pronouns are rattled off for us, the Lord isn't looking at David uh, sort of shaking his head as if he doesn't quite measure up. That's not at all the point. The point is that the Lord is coming to David in his time of need and in his, uh, the, the perplexity of life. He's coming to him to meet him where he is because he cares about where he is and because his intention is to bless him and to lead him into what's best for him. And then please notice as well, David's reaction to the things that happened in his life. He has lots of reasons for distress. We've seen that just by uh, kind of the intro verses that we looked at. Lots of reasons for distress. And it reminds me of the, uh, the spiritual that raises the question, where could I go? Where could I go? Where could I go but to the Lord? That's where... The spiritual takes us, and that's where David chooses to go. In all of the difficulties that David experiences, he chooses to see the Lord's blessing. Now, this is a question worth asking. When you look at your difficulties... How do you think about those in relation to God? Where is God in the middle of the difficulties that you're facing right this minute? Is he scowling at you, sort of thinking, Oh, I'm just giving you what you deserve. You should get a lot worse. Or is he working all things together for your good? That's the question. And the Bible is crystal clear in the answer. William Law was commenting on who might be viewed as a great saint. And he said, it's not the one who gives the most money, but the one who receives everything as an expression, not of God's judgment, but of his goodness. That's the great saint. He receives everything that comes to his hand as an expression of God's goodness. The Lord has stooped down to you to meet you at the point of your need. That's the solution that David finds here in these verses. The ultimate, really, I think, of God's blessing on David's life uh, comes to us at the end, uh, verses 44 to 46. Let me just read those to you. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nation. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners were cringing to me as soon as they heard of me. They obeyed me. Foreigners lost hope, lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. David sees God's blessing in his, in his life. He's the anointed one, after all. He's the king. And he sees God's blessing on his life as the Lord enables him to defeat his enemies. Now, let's get the point of this poem. The point of it is, reflecting on God's goodness in the middle of life's difficulties leads leads David to praise and thanksgiving, and we want to ask, what's going on in your life in the difficulties that you face? To what extent are praise and thanksgiving part of the way in which you're responding? It takes some work to study God's dealings in our lives and come to the conclusion that there are blessings in the hard times. It takes some work. And yet the Bible tells us again and again we're to study God's works. Just look up that phrase in your Bible. Study God's works, His judgments. We're called to do that over and over again. There's a story about a pastor who was coming home at night with his young daughter in their buggy. And he wanted to think, and she was accustomed to talking to him all the time. And so he said, well, as we're driving along, why don't you try to count the stars? He hoped that that would keep her off track a little bit, and he would be able to meditate on whatever it was. Uh, She got up into the 300s and stopped and said, you know, Dad, I didn't realize how many were out there until I really studied them. And that's the way it is with the blessings of God on your life. We don't realize how many there are until we study them, and that's exactly what David is doing in this psalm. Did you know that this psalm is referenced, or I'm sorry, this poem? I keep on thinking, I'm working out of Psalm 18. Uh, do you know that this poem is referenced two times in the New Testament? One is in uh, Romans chapter 15, and uh, the other is in Hebrews, and I want to read both of those to you. Romans chapter 15. We'll start with verse eight. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. There it is. And then if you just flip over to um, Hebrews, Chapter 2, here is, well, we'll go back to uh, ver- verse 12. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in in Him, and again, behold, I and the children, God has given me. Now, both of those references place the truth of Second Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 uh, in the life of Jesus. In other words, Second Samuel 22 is ultimately fulfilled in the life of Christ, and. The blessings of God that come to David, come to him through Christ, if you get that. And the blessings that David experiences, um, the promises, the hopes there, they come to us through Christ. But it's not sufficient for us to say, oh yeah, there is some kind of reference to Jesus in 2 Samuel chapter 22. The solution that David receives from all of his problems, the Lord's blessing on his life, the Lord hiding nuggets of blessing in the middle of his problems, um, those are intended for us so that we live in this world that David experiences and what we see in Jesus. That world that David experiences is one of blessing. And it's one that's marked by praise. And it's one that's marked by thankfulness. So this psalm, David is a model for us of praise and thankfulness in the middle of a mess, pointing us to Jesus, who in the middle of a mess praises and glorifies the Lord, even on the way to the cross, so that he might save us from our sins. Those those words are there so that we enter into this world of praise and thanksgiving in the middle of the difficulties that we experience. And so as I said before, this whole force of 2 Samuel 22 is designed to get us to think about, to think deeply about what are my problems and where in my problems do I find God's blessings? And then to move us to turn toward Him in praise and thanksgiving. Now, you can't do that apart from faith in Christ. Unless you're trusting that Christ is actually working His good plan in you and for you, you can't give Him praise in the middle of difficulties. But that's the call to Christians trust in the Lord. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Can you think of anybody who modeled the kind of praise-filled, thanks-filled living that we see in David and we actually see in Jesus? How about John Newton? What do we know about him? He served initially as a slave trader, and you've heard awful stories about what it's been like, what it was like for slaves. He was a slave trader. And then the Lord saved him. And the Lord not only saved him from his sins, but he saved him from his profession, and he converted him into a Baptist minister. But he wasn't just a Baptist minister. He also wrote songs. One which is very familiar, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he could say that, couldn't he, with uh, probably uh, knowledge that some of us don't have because we haven't been slave traders. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And then he goes on and he says... Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And aren't his words of praise your words of praise? Grace has brought me this far. I'm not here by my own strength or prowess or... um, sophistication. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So as you begin a new week, would you please begin it with confidence that the Lord is working in your difficulties to accomplish his purposes, and he's given you reason for praise and thanksgiving if you look below the surface. Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. Thank you for it. Help us to be people who trust in your promises, and are encouraged by David's experience of um, praise and thanksgiving in the face of all his distress. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.